A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. You know, the weather's getting warmer, so I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually... Actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple, perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. quince. But it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie. Also from Quince. Ooh, mm-hmm. okay. Like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking. I'm going to toot my own horn. Effortlessly chic, whether it's winter toot, or, toot, Kate. or summer. They've got premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30. You've got washable silk tops, really stunning 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, if you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. Hello and welcome to Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. I'm Kate Spencer. And I'm Dori Shafrir. And we are not experts. No, but we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. Visit our website, Forever 35 Podcast, for links to everything we mention on the show. You know our Twitter at Forever 35 Pod, our Instagram at Forever 35 Podcast, Forever 35 Facebook group where the password is serums. You can shop our favorite prods at shopmy.us slash Forever 35. Sign up for the newsletter at Forever 35 Podcast.com slash newsletter. Leave us a voicemail and a text. I'm just going to keep going. 781-591-0390. Thank you. Email is Forever 35 Podcast at Gmail. Dot com And of course, we've got a delightful merch collab with the folks at Balance Bound, which you can find at balancebound.co slash shop slash forever 35. <sighs> yes. You did great there. Thank you. You are Thank so Thank you welcome. so much. Kate, you are celebrating a national holiday today. I am celebrating on the day of this recording. You know, we record a little early ahead of schedule, so we stay on top of things. Today is National Taylor Swift released Midnight's Day here in real time. And I am just enjoying all my Taylor Swiftiness 
and her new album, Midnights, which Rolling Stone, de- Rolling Stone declared an instant classic. Dory, I don't know if you saw that. But Rolling I did not. Stone was that Rob Sheffield? Classic. Oh, that's a great question. I don't know. Let me go to my Taylor Swift text message chain and scroll back up for the link. Hold on here. There I mean, I'm so- just curious. It seems like he would be the one to review it, but... but- you know, Hold on, I'm, I'm almost there. No, it's Britney Spanos. Oh, Britney Spanos, her. sure, sure. Mm-hmm. She's That's right. You worked at Rolling Stone. Well, she I did. She was. She declared Britney it was not there. Classic. Britney was not there when I was there, but I n- just kind of knew her from, or like knew of her from music writing circles, and she's really wonderful. And I'm really glad that she uh, writes for them now because it was very white male heavy when mm. I was there. Yuck. Well. Taylor nailed it. She nailed it. It's a great album. I'm enjoying it immensely. I'm getting emotional. Look, like she sucks me in every time. She comes back better than a 90s trend. Stronger than a (laughs) 90s trend. That's what happens. She comes back stronger than a 90s trend, which is what she did at this album. She She just sucks me back in every time. I am a Swifty. I'm a Disney adult. I'm a Swifty. I'm like literally the most basic stereotype of a white American woman. And here I am Swifting away. I'm glad that you own it. Yeah. I mean, what else am I going to do, you know, but it's good. The album's good. And you know what else? Um, And I put this in our newsletter, but there's a new Waxahachie collab album with um, an artist named Jess Williamson. They call themselves Planes, and their new album is also excellent. So I've just had a, kind mm. of a nice a nice music week. Like it's been really I've been putting on tunes and trying not to scroll on my phone as much and just like if I'm sitting with my kids, we put on music and it's been it's been pleasant. Hmm. I love that. That's really nice. You're not celebrating today? You don't celebrate Taylor Swift Day? You know, I um I like Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. I would not call myself a Swifty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um I have seen her in concert twice. Uh but yeah, I like I will listen to the new album, but I'm not like I've not listened to it yet. I like I guess I'll just say that. So I'm That's not fair. you know, I'm not yeah, I'm not celebrating uh, Taylor Swift Day in the same way that you are, but I respect it. So I will oh, say I'm listening yeah. to, I am listening to a new podcast. What is it? It is called Gone South. And I did not listen to season one. I, I picked it up in season two, which just started. And it's about mm. um, a gang of criminals in the South called the Dixie Mafia. Ooh. Wow. Okay. <laughs> it's good. It's quite good. I'm enjoying it. Um, it's like, you know, it's true crime, but like a journalistic true crime. Yeah. That sounds good. I might, I have, I have had a hard time listening to podcasts lately. You know, Kate, I also was having a hard time listening to podcasts and I was like, I really want to get into a podcast. Yeah. The only problem is that I've now gotten into this 
like on time. And so there's only two episodes out. I like to binge. Oh, that's the worst now feeling. Now I have to I, wait. Uh, I know. It's, it's so weird how we've gotten, you know, like growing up, we didn't, we didn't have the same access to media. No. So like this whole idea of binging content just was not a thing. We were accustomed to waiting. In fact, the waiting was the hardest part as Tom Petty's saying, mm-hmm. but it was like the best part, kind of, like that when you like finish the episode and then you know you have to wait a whole week for something. Totally. Well, and also like if you missed it and you didn't record it on your VCR, which you might or might not have, then mm-hmm. like you missed it. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, you know, I mean, like I have painful memories of like, I set the VCR to record the new kids on the block on local Boston talk show. People are talking. And then my brother took it out and put a Disney video in and I never got to see that interview. And it like still, I was so, I've never been more angry in my freaking life. I can still feel the rage coming With home Tom from Bergeron? school. Yes. Remember people are talking. <laughs> I do. I do remember people are talking. I'm pretty sure this interview is now on YouTube. Cause I think I've gone back and looked for it, but for like my whole life, this feeling of like, I never got to see this fucking interview and I had tr- like, so like, yes, so we don't have that anymore. Right now, we're so used to getting all the content mm-hmm. that it's frustrating when you have to wait. But maybe it's a good practice. Like maybe it, I don't know. I mean, sure. Except eh. what ends up, what sometimes ends up happening with this kind of thing is I then forget. Like I I move on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the week, the week between episodes, I find something else and then I forget. But then it's kind of good because then I remember later and come back and by then all the episodes are there. Dory, <laughs> I'm looking at Gone yes. South, and this is hosted by Jed Lipinski. He graduated from college a year behind me. What? He's a Bates College alum. What? Oh yes. my goodness. Bates College, he was friends with my ex-boyfriend. What a small world. We weren't friends, but I recognized this person immediately. Yeah. Congratulations to you, fellow Bates College alum, Jed Lipinski. That's so funny. That's pretty cool. Go us. Just two Bates podcasters. One of us (laughs) winning awards. Well, you know what? We've won awards. I'm not going to talk down about myself. Yeah. We've We've won won two iHeartRadio awards. So what if this is mm-hmm. like a Peabody award-winning show? <laughs> Sorry. I took my ADHD meds right before uh, this podcast, so I'm a little peppy I'm gonna, today. I'm going to follow Jed Lipinski on Twitter. Oh, what um, a discovery. Yeah, okay, so, well, good recommendation. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much. Well, Kate, should we get to our guest? Oh, yeah, because we have a really fun, nice long chat to share with you. Oh, um, This do. was a fun one. I mean, we say the same, we say this every time, but we have just like an embarrassment of riches when it comes to the people we get to interview. Well, right? you know, like, it's funny with with this particular, with guests like this one who, like, I felt like she was like your guest, like she was like your yeah. person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I really enjoyed talking to her too. So I love guests like that where like, they seem to be kind of much more in one of our... Yes. Worlds? Our wheelhouses, if you will. Our wheelhouses. Yes, exactly. Um, but I, I really enjoyed our conversation and loved hearing her perspective on book talk and just so many different things. So today's guest is Kennedy Ryan, 
a writer who I love. Um, her new book is coming out on November 15th. It's called Before I Let Go. So uh, let us let us tell you about Kennedy. She's a romance writer and she is an amazing romance writer. She is a Rita Award winner, top 25 Amazon bestseller. She says she writes for women from all walks of life, empowering them and placing them firmly at the center of each story and in charge of their own destinies. Her heroes respect, mm. cherish, and lose their minds for the women who capture their hearts. I mean, she is just chef's kiss. She is a journalist. She is a wife, mother to an extraordinary son, contributor to Modern Mom Magazine. She's the founder and executive director of a foundation serving Atlanta families living with autism. She's appeared on Headline News, NPR, Montel Williams as an advocate for families living with autism. And she's a really iconic and incredible writer. And if you aren't familiar with her work, I'm going to include a link in the show notes to this YouTube video that I found um, mm-hmm. with a booktuber just raving and kind of giving you a rundown of a lot of her a lot of her books. Um, she's a prolific writer. And we just had such a fun chat with her. It was just like a real blast. Yeah, it was great. Um, all right. So without further ado, here is Kennedy. Well, Kennedy, we're so excited to have you on Forever 35. Um, I first came to your work when someone at the Ripped Bodice here in Los Angeles shoved Queen Move in my hands while I was <laughs> I asked for book recommendations. Okay. Um, and it's been a, a reader love affair ever since. So welcome to Forever 35. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you so much. I'm excited to chat about whatever you guys want to talk about. I'm excited. <laughs> okay, well, buckle up. Buckle we, in. I'm buckling. Yeah, put it in. <laughs> get ready. We we like to start every interview uh, with a, a question for all our guests, which is what is a self-care practice that you are currently implementing in your own life? It can look like anything, but we would love to know if you have something you know, um, it, I'm in such a hectic season. I'm having to really think, how am I caring for myself? <laughs> um, mm. One of my favorite things to do is to walk. Um, mm. I, I'm, I haven't been doing it. You're reminding me that I haven't been as consistent with it as usual. But that is actually like my favorite thing to do is to be out in fresh air. Um, and sometimes when I'm writing and I know we're talking about self-care, not writing, but sometimes when I'm writing and I'm completely just like locked up, I will go for a walk and I, you know, a couple of walks around the block. And the reason I'm kind of not walking the way I usually do is because we're in, we're, we're having a house built. And so I'm in a space that's not as familiar to walk. So I'm not doing it as much, but when I have like, you know, my own space, I walk around the block, you know, I walk by the library, I walk, you know, around the schools and just deep, deep breathe um, and play Mm -hmm. some of my favorite music. Like, and that just, it feeds me. Music is really, really rejuvenating for me. Um, Like, I I can't even explain how music like speaks to me. Um, I will have a playlist. I actually do right now. I have a playlist of about a hundred songs and I haven't even really started writing the book. Like music comes to me first and it speaks to me. It like soothes me. Um, and so a, a long walk in either spring or autumn air is my favorite crisp or, you know, not muggy, um, with my favorite songs. And really what I think the key to that is, is it's time by myself. 
because I am a mom. I'm a special needs mom. It's very demanding. Um, of course, I'm a wife. Uh, I have all these obligations and I find that I just need time by myself. Sometimes, and my husband is amazing about this, especially when I'm under deadline, I will just go check into a hotel for a few days by myself. And that to Mm -hmm. me is one of the biggest things that I've just started hoarding for myself. You know, I feel like a lot of times, especially as wives and moms, we feel like those things are extravagances. And for me, coming out of the pandemic and where my mind was, where my emotions were, and what was demanded of me and of my family. Um, honestly, those things that started that used to feel like extravagances, now they feel like just necessities. You know, having somebody to come clean my house, you know, once a month, you know, making sure that I will, you know, set aside time to go check into a hotel. My husband is on the road a lot. When he comes home, sometimes I'm like, I gotta go. <laughs> I gotta mm-hmm. I, I gotta go, you know? Uh huh. He's, he's great about supporting me so that I can do that, you know, for myself. There's something about that because I have actually done this too, where like my my husband also works crazy hours, and when it's done, I'm like, I gotta get out of here, and it's it's almost <laughs> like you just need to decompress and quiet for 24 hours. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's funny because um, my son has autism, and so he has a lot of sensory issues. And ever mm. since he was young, when he was really young, he would come home from school. This is TMI, but he would he was young. He would strip naked, like completely naked. He would go into his room. He would turn out all the lights. He would pull the covers over his head because there was just so much sensory input from the day that he had to decompress. And he still has his versions of that, even though he's much older now. And I was like, you've got the right idea, kid. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And I just need to go into a room and turn off the lights and lie down and like put on some noise canceling headphones and just like you know, rejuvenate. So I think you make an interesting point too, because, and I'm not speaking from experience, but from kind of what I hear from friends is that as a parent of a special needs kid, I feel like self, your own self care is extremely important. And uh, that's often forgotten in this kind of, um, you know, neuro world that's so geared towards neurotypical people. Um, right. I, I don't know if that's been your experience, but I, I'm I'm curious if you have thoughts as a, a parent of a special needs child. I I I mean I can only speak for my experience. Well, and the experience of a lot of my friends who mm. um have who have kids who are special needs or specifically on the spectrum because that's kind of a lot of the spaces that I'm in. Um, I remember when my son was first diagnosed parents who had been around for a long time, they said, remember, this is a marathon, not a sprint, you know, because you hit the ground running, Mm. you know, as soon as my son was diagnosed, I was like, what do I need to do? You know, and you're like, you're like in the wind and you're, you're doing everything. And for me, um, there's a part of me that always feels like I need to fix things. I need to help. How, what can I do? And so I actually started a foundation for families who have children with autism, which I ran for about 13 years before my career just got to be so much that I couldn't do both things. But in doing all of that, in trying to generate resources for other families and tracking down resources for mine and doing the work of being really, my son is on the more severe end and around the clock caregiver. You just put your 
you know, head down and you just do whatever's necessary. And it's not until later that you realize, oh my gosh, I'm really praying. You know, I'm really mm-hmm. at a place that I, uh, I'm, I'm sad or I'm really tired or I'm unmotivated. And um, I think that for me and for a lot of parents, we just forget, especially moms, we just forget, you know, and they all, the, the thing that they always say, she's like, you know, you put your mask on first. You don't, Mm -hmm. you know, that's the truth. You know, that's what you're supposed to do. And that you, if you conk out, you're no good to anybody. But in the moment, it feels like this thing, getting all of these things done for them is the most important thing. And you lose sight of that. And I think especially during the pandemic, um, and I think I, in talking to other parents, all parents, because all of us were trapped at home and a lot of our kids were at home, but for a lot of special needs parents, when you, you know, get down to it, we, a lot of us didn't have access to therapies. You know, we didn't have, you know, the resources that come with, with school, those outlets, you know, where for a few hours each day, your child is occupied, engaged, and it's not you, (laughs) you know, having to do that, Mm -hmm. especially as, uh, you know, someone who works full time. Um, But I think that especially from, I can only speak for my family, the pandemic was such a pressure cooker. Our house became such a pressure cooker Mm. because my son did not have access to therapies and the only therapies that they were doing were online. And my son doesn't really function that way. And he couldn't access therapies and he didn't have, because he doesn't really function online that way. He didn't have access to school and we were having, you know, a tutor come in to try to maintain, but he was really losing a lot of the gains that, and it's, I mean, it's heartbreaking things that we worked years and years and years to gain during the pandemic just slipped away, you know, and that is discouraging, you know, it's heartbreaking. Um, and I can, I can just think about days when I, because I was diagnosed with depression during the pandemic and days when I would hear him, I don't want to get emotional this early in the podcast, but I would hear him, you know, in a room, just like crying, just crying. And I'm sitting on the floor and I'm just crying, just crying. And I'm like this, oh my gosh, why is it like this? Why is the world like this right now? And it became really hard to take care of him and to take care of myself. Um, And I think for me, my mission was just get this kid out of this thing alive because he was also immunocompromised. So, you know, there were a lot of lessons I learned during the pandemic and a lot I learned about myself and my limits and not assuming that I don't have any, (laughs) Yeah, you know, (laughs) so Mm -hmm. to answer, to over answer (sighs) your question. (laughs) No, well, you, you know, you bring up depression and Mm -hmm. you, you dig into that so deeply. And before I let go and I, 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 I we had written a question kind of asking about what inspired this you know choice for this character um and maybe before we talk about that could you kind of give our listeners an overview about what your new book is about Yeah um people are really into tropes right now mm-hmm. <laughs> So mm-hmm. love a trope the kind of the elevator version probably the easiest way to do it is to trope it first um it's divorced couple um, it is lots of pining. <laughs> it's uh, co-parent, you know, co-parenting. So both single parents, but involved with each other. Um, they run, so they're raising their children together. They live in Atlanta. 
Um, they are they had a restaurant together called Grits, and now they're they're still running it together. They're business partners. Um, it is a soulmate story. Is I like to think most of my stories are soulmate stories, but if you can imagine um, thinking someone is your soulmate and then losing that person in your life, but still ha- it's forced proximity, I guess. Also, mm-hmm, yep, you've lost that person. You know the intimacy and the everyday, and we're we're doing our lives together as lovers, as partners. Um, but we still, I still have to see you every day because we run a business together and I still have to see you every day because we're raising our kids together. And there's a lot of unresolved issues, you know, um, and there, the love, I think I am not the reader, I'm the writer, but I hear people say, Mm -hmm. and I sense that the love that they still have for each other, the emotion between them is palpable. You know, it's like from the beginning, you know, this ain't over, you know, you still feel that chemistry between them. Um, but, and, but you know, something broke, you know, something broke in this process. And I think it's highlighted because the prologue is him proposing and you're like, Oh my gosh, this is so sweet. This is amazing. amazing." And in chapter one, they're divorced and you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, you know? So, um, something broke. Mm-hmm. And so the first few chapters is really just unpacking where they are, but then le- also giving you flashes of how they, as a couple and as a family, broke. Because the things that happened, there's like a series of losses. And those losses, we're talking about depression and we're talking about, you know, how we handle our mental health. Both of them kind of went to their corners and handled grief and loss in different ways. She has this line in the book where she says, I realized that we were completely incompatible in our grief. You know, it's like mm. that kind of, he did kind of the typical man thing where he just like was like, okay, you know, I'm going to keep us afloat. I'm going to pay the bills. I'm going to do this. But what I'm not going to do is access all this pain or unpack all of these feelings. And she was like, I can't get out of this pain. I can't get out of these feelings. You know, she had complicated grief, which is grief that goes beyond a year or so. Um, She, you know, really just could not move on and was dealing with depression. And so a lot fell apart, you know, when they were kind of handling things in opposite ways. And when the book starts, and this is not a spoiler because it's right at the beginning, but when the book starts, she's on the up, you know, she's like been, she's found the right therapist. And if people who read the book, and I don't want to give too much away, but she goes through a few <laughs> therapists before she finds the right one. And I will admit that came from me because I went through th- three therapists before I found the right one, you know, mm. but she's, um, she's on. And I really, really in this book, there's a lot of on-page therapy. There's a lot of like direct dealing with mental health. She is on antidepressants as am I, you know, it's like, I actually drafted uh, like a first draft of this book literally 15 years ago, like before I even published my, this is, I wrote just like a, a version of this before my first book actually published, but it was like under my digital bed. I wasn't thinking about it at all. And my husband, I was like, I don't know what to write next because usually when I write, there is an inciting incident, (laughs) you know? 
know, like, I'm not one of these people who's like, ooh, what if I wrote Step Brothers? Oh my gosh, you know, what if I wrote this? That's just not how I come to story. And so for me, it's like, you mentioned Queen Move, that's a part of All the King's Men. Uh, that series, I was watching, you know, pipeline protests on television, and I was like, ooh, and what if they kiss? You know, it's like, there's It's always if, what if they, what if they kiss yes. is always like what a great, they, yes. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. but activism is something that runs really strong through most of my work. So usually something has provoked me or inspired me or whatever. And so I didn't have anything in that moment. And so when my agent was like, what are you writing next? It's like, I really don't know. And my husband goes, what about that divorce book? And I'm like, the one from like, when I wasn't even a writer, he's like, yeah, that one. And, you know, I pulled it out and completely tore it down and reconstructed it. But it was it was exactly what I needed to write at that time. Now, when I first started writing before I let go, um, I had not been diagnosed with depression. I was diagnosed with depression in the middle of writing before I let go. But before the pandemic even started, I had gone to, you know, my doctor for my annual and she said, you know, you fill out the little questionnaire and she's like, you have quite a few indicators for depression. And Mm. I was like, yeah, that's, that's, yeah. I mean, because I'm so (laughs) used to living with this low level, you know, hum of stress in my life. I was like, yeah, Uh that's just my life. That's just my life. She goes, well, we need to keep an eye on it. And then the pandemic happened and that kind of fell off my radar and I didn't realize it was getting worse and worse and worse. And I hadn't written for six months and I thought I had writer's block. And when I got into therapy, I still couldn't write. And she goes, well, it's, it's, I don't think it's writer's block. I think you actually have depression, <laughs> you know? Wow. You know what? That's such a, it's such a good point too, because I feel like sometimes when these mental health things are happening, uh, mm-hmm. we don't re- we don't realize it until someone else right. uh, points it out. So that's so, I'm so grateful that you bring that up. I didn't think about it. My husband one day said, do you realize that you don't really get out of bed? And I was like, what? And he goes like, you're in bed like all day. Like even when you're working, Mm -hmm. you work from bed. You just don't ever get out of bed. And I'm like, it's the pandemic. Who wants to get out of bed? And he's like, well, it's just kind of, you know. (laughs) Okay, well, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. 
I'm all over the place with the things that I like on Masterclass. But this year, I am very interested in the class Redefining Feminism, which is 14 Lessons from Gloria Steinem. Okay. Now, they dissect issues women face in the U.S. and ways we can play a role in the feminist movement in our everyday lives. Look, I majored in women and gender studies in college. So this is right up my alley. But even if you didn't, even if you're like, this is the first time I'm hearing those words. I would argue, especially if you didn't. Yes. Get into it with Masterclass because this is the year you can really learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Go from just talking about improving to actually doing the things you've been wanting to do with Masterclass. And it doesn't have to be redefining feminism with Gloria Steinem. It can be gardening in your own garden or your yard or patio. It can be learning to cook Indian food or designing a space that you love. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors. So whether you want to master like negotiation with Chris Voss or Think Like a Boss with Martha Stewart or maybe capture your vision through photography with Petra Collins, Masterclass has you covered. With Masterclass, you get unlimited access to intimate one-on-one classes with the world's best. And right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash F35. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash F35. That's masterclass.com slash F35. Kate, I feel like we are like barreling into summer. It's happening so fast. It is. And I feel like also with summer just come more social events. There's weddings. There's nights out. It's vacations. I mean, like all the things happening in summer. And what I love is that Honey Love has just the right thing for all those events. Feel comfortable and confident this summer with Honey Love's best-selling Superpower Short. The Superpower Short smooth shapes and lifts, giving you a flawless silhouette under any outfit with targeted compression technology that distinguishes between areas where you want more support and areas you need less compression. It's designed to work with your body, not against it. Speaking of working with your bod, the crossover bra, which I'm wearing as we speak. I wear that thing every day. I do too. Uh, It's my favorite Honey Love piece. Let me let me just tell you why. Yeah, get okay, into it. Okay, do you want to tell me why? <laughs> no, no, I was just going to say like I I I don't even need to wear it to events. I wear it like the event is every day of my life. Yes, that's such a good way of putting it. The bra gives all the support of traditional bras without using any underwires and just like sidebar, I have put on some of my old underwire bras lately and been like, "Oh god, like get this off of me." <laughs> No, thank once you. you. Once you start wearing Honey Love, you're just like, no, not yep. going back. You see how also, it could like, be. Yes. Also, like summer sweat under those underwires is like, ugh, the worst. Now you don't have to worry about it. Get the support you need with the comfort you deserve and treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market. Save 20% off at honeylove.com slash forever. 
Use our exclusive link to get 20% off honeylove.com slash forever. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. The summer vibes are just getting started. So shape your life with Honey Love. You know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually, actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple, perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie, also from quince. Ooh, mm-hmm. okay. It, it, like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking. I, I'm going to toot my own horn. Effortlessly chic, whether it's winter toot, or, toot, Kate. or summer. They've got premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30. You've got washable silk tops, really stunning 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, If you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. All right, we are back. Um, Kennedy, I'm wondering how you came to romance. What was what was kind of your gateway? Did you were you a big romance reader? Was your mom into romance? My mom was in was into me not reading romance. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I, okay. I, it's so <laughs> funny because I started reading romance when I was in the eighth grade. I that was a long time ago, right? That was it was a long time ago. Who were you reading in eighth grade? Oh my gosh, I was reading all the good stuff. Um, some of it doesn't even stand the test of time, but at the, at the moment, it was the best thing ever. I was reading, you know, Wooderwis. You know, I was reading, um, you know, uh, The Wolf and the Dove. Like that's I'm that old. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I was reading like. Um, uh, Harlequin presents in the eighth grade. Mm. Um, I mm-hmm, was reading. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, oh gosh, my mind is going completely blank. But Joanna Lindsay, like that's that's what romance was, you know, at that time. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. am, for people who don't know, I'm a black woman, and I that's even before. And I'm really telling my age, but that was even before Beverly Jenkins started first publishing. So there wasn't a lot on the landscape of, you know, in historical romance, which is what a, a lot of what I was reading that even reflected 
who I was, you know, but it was all that there was. And so I think my gateway, Sarah McLean always says, you know, what blooded you? (laughs) Historical Mm. romance (laughs) is, you know, kind of what blooded me. And then, um, and my mom definitely did not want me reading romance. I was smuggling novels into the house. I was hiding them under the mattress. I was stuffing them in bags. You know, I was addicted. I I loved it. And um, when I got to college, you know, sometimes when you when you go to college, you, you, you it's time to read the serious books then. You know, it's time to read the quote unquote mm-hmm. real books when you're in college. And so for a long time, like once I got to college, I just and I started really focusing on, you know, my degree. I didn't read romance for a long time. And I mentioned before that my son was diagnosed with autism and it just kind of threw me into like, okay, what do we have to do? What are the services? What are the resources? Oh, I'm going to start a foundation, like all of this stuff. And I needed an escape. And I remembered how much I loved romance, you know? And so that's when I came back to reading romance and it was just mine. You know, it was just for me. It was just an escape for me. It was something that um, was satisfying and it was uh, safe it gave me a safe place to land. Like it was, it guaranteed me, it was guaranteed happily ever after. Like I, I needed those things. I still need those things. Um, I think of romance as of like the genre of hope, honestly, you know, hope and happily ever mm. afters um, because we guarantee those things. Um, right. And that's still what I love about romance. And a lot of people will read my books and they're like, Sometimes they're like, is this even romance? <laughs> you know, because I do deal with like heavier topics. But I think the thing for me is even when life is hard, like this is in a space where you can guarantee that things are going to be fine, you know, that you're going to have a safe place to land. I can control that here. You know, I can't control it yes. in the real world. Yes. But here in this world that I engineer and that I design and that I control you're going to you're going to end up happy. You know, you might have it might be a, a road that you have to negotiate, but you're going to end up happy. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people say that they started reading romance during the pandemic kind of for this reason because mm-hmm. not only was it such an escape, but also the predictability of the happy the happy ending was so comforting. Right. And I really think right. there is something to that. Oh, yeah. Oh, I agree. I agree. And I, I, I'm amazed at how many new romance readers we have, you know, especially through book talk. It's just like, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm shocked when I see people say, I just started reading romance, you know, 18 months ago, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, and some yeah. of the books that they're discovering that, you know, in Romance Landia, we're like, that's mm-hmm. a six year old book. Oh my gosh. You're right. just writing that. That's right. amazing. Yes. You know? Um, but book talk great. is wild. Book talk has it been, uh, and for anyone unfamiliar who's listening, it's it's the way tick it's tick book culture on TikTok, and it's different than right. anything I've seen before, and it's <laughs> it's amazing and very influential. I mean, I know Colleen Hoover is like the name that gets thrown around a lot, but it's it's been influential with a lot of different um, writers and genres. It's it's amazing, right? For sure, it definitely has, definitely has. It's also funny you mentioned that because I saw I was watching a video that someone made on YouTube, like a booktuber, and they were talking about how you're their favorite author, and it was a guide to all your books. But then they were oh like, gosh. "I just started reading her books. I'll send you the link." They're like, "But it was like I just started reading them last year." But they had gone through <laughs> your entire catalog, you know. So it's people right. come to stuff at all times. It's so amazing. 
I was just going to ask if you feel like book talk and kind of the virality of books and your books has changed anything about the way you write. Uh, no, not for me. I don't think it's changed the way I write. I think it's changed the way I market what I write. Um, mm-hmm. Because for me, I write in, I'm not going to say I write in a bubble because I don't, but I'm not someone who's looking at trends or paying. I'm not smart enough to be paying attention to what people want to read. I only want to write what I want to write. And then I'm going to do my best to find the people who want to read it. um, As opposed to the really smart people who are like, what do people want? Okay, I'm going to write that. Like that's not really. But that is such a, that is such a dangerous road to go down when you start writing what you think people want to read. Right. Because like, yeah, I feel like if, if you, if you do that and you're not writing the stories that you want to write, like you're saying you do, I don't know. I, I guess some people can pull it off, but I think sometimes I think some people, I think there's some people who find the balance. You know, I think there's some people who find yeah. that balance who are like, this yes. is what I want to write. And if I package it this way, then I know it's right. going to appeal to this group of people. Um, you know, I started off talking right. about tropes and we've always had tropes in Romance Landia, but I think book talk is a lot of times very trope driven. You know, it's like that's the yes. first thing you get is uh, it's like he falls first and, uh, you know, uh, touch her and, you know, I'll unalive you or, you know, if you're talking about like mafia and some dark romance. Yes. Um, but, you know, we have these like phrases that have really become so huge on in book talk culture for how people find books. Um, I think for mm-hmm. me, one of the things that's very interesting is I think that book talk is revolutionary. I think that it is, um, it's blowing up a lot of careers. For me, and I've spoken about this, I actually did a panel on this a few weeks ago. I'm hoping that at some point, um, I feel like it is by and large bypassing the virality of it and the power of it is by and large bypassing um, BIPOC authors. Um, Mm. I think that when you look at the authors who are hugely successful, when you look at the books and the content that's being promoted, that's going viral, um, it is by and large white women. Which yeah. and I'm and honestly, like Colleen and I are good friends, Emily Henry and I are good friends, like all of the big romance names. I am very fortunate, like all of them are my friends. So this is not about people. This is about systems. You know, this is right. about the fact that TikTok and I don't want to get too into this because I know that's not what this is about. But I speak on it when I have the chance because I feel like there's like this cone of silence around um, the success of publishing and TikTok. And there, to me, there's like this glaring thing where it's like, yeah, but it's all very white, cis, het. Like, are we, it feels in a lot of ways regressive, meaning at, mm. uh, at certain points over the last few years, over the last decade or so, diversity and inclusion has been, has be, has been evolving into something that was a priority. And I, what I see and what a lot of my friends see, especially my BIPOC author friends, is we see diversity and inclusion and BIPOC authors and um, queer 
authors, we see us being somewhat, and this is not like sour grapes, like I'm happy oh, no. for everybody it's happening for. But we, what we see is those things that we thought would be so important, especially when we had the protest, you know, and it's like all the publishers were like, mm. oh my gosh, we want to be inclusive. Oh my gosh, we have to make diversity. Oh my gosh. And all of the content creators and influencers, you know, making their profiles black and, you know, all of mm-hmm. that. When you look at the way book talk culture, and I'm not pointing fingers at anybody, this is not about people, this is about systems, because racism and bias is is systemic. There are people who operate inside of those systems, but when you look at BookTok, it is by and large systemic because TikTok has already admitted that it it is algorithmically biased against people of color. Like that's a huge problem that TikTok has already acknowledged. So I'm not making that up, but it is by and large peripheralizing um, BIPOC authors, queer authors, and it the TikTok boom is by and large a white woman's movement. And so I I can hold two things at once. I can acknowledge that TikTok is amazing, that it's exploding print sales, that it's doing things that are amazing for romance and that it's elevating the profile of romance. I can hold that in one hand. And in the other, I can also say the way this system is set up, it is peripheralizing those who we said we wanted to include. And I'm not sure that anybody is being vigilant about figuring out how to correct that. I'm so glad you bring this up because this, this, yeah, the, the book talk conversation is happening more and more. And it's kind of like, wow, can you believe this is happening? And it does seem like um, the systemic racism involved in the platform is not getting mentioned. Um, and so I'm really glad that you, you note it because that is a hugely important part of the conversation, especially as we consider, you know, who who gets the attention, who gets the money, all all these things um, are, are tied into it because it's 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 impacting people's real lives. It definitely is. Um, and again, I'm like I I don't want people to think, oh my gosh, Kennedy's anti book talk or Kennedy because that's not it at all. I think that. Anytime we have these movements, these explosions of growth and the success, like generally when those things happen, not just book specific, it's black and brown women who are left behind. You know, it's black and brown Mm -hmm. women who are peripheralized. So this is not something specific to book culture. This is systemic racism, you know, applied in every, and people sometimes when, when, sometimes when they hear me or other people talk about this, you know, it's the cry of, is it, why is it always about race? Oh my gosh. And I'm like, well, that's kind of the point of systemic racism is that it infiltrates systems. (laughs) So it's everywhere, you know, and some of us have to manage it and some of us don't. So. Yeah. You're, and and the and the people who are kind of complaining about why is it always about race they I, th- I think they are not seeing that their lives are always benefiting from these systems right like it is it's always about race right if you and, don't and, have to think about it that's a, a yeah, huge privilege that's the system playing into right. your favor 
Right. Uh, that I is think- privilege. Yeah, that is privilege to not have to think about it. And yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm very fortunate that, you know, like I said, I am friends with a lot of women who are having a lot of success and a lot of them are cognizant of it, are speaking about mm-hmm. it. And I think for people who consider themselves allies who are experiencing success, like the best thing you can do is amplify those voices that you see being quieted, you know, is talk about Mm -hmm. those stories that aren't getting the same kind of viral exposure that maybe yours are. And I'm not saying that no one is, but I'm saying when you see black and brown people who have those viral experiences, they tend to be the exception and not the rule. And so anytime you want to like point to that one, 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 you know, remember that one, Anytime you find yourself doing that, then you know, oh, okay, wait, that's an exception. That's not the rule. So that means the vast majority of people are not experiencing that. And that is a problem. Mm. This is the first time we've really gotten into book talk on the pod. And I'm very excited to talk. It's exciting to talk about it because I I don't really even, I try to just not look at, like I, I try to, I, the way I kind of handle my life as a writer is I have to kind of shut out all the outside influences or otherwise I feel like I would be in a spiral the entire time, you know, a panic spiral. So, um, but I have been following it in like, as in terms of a, you know, reading about it. And I, I find it really interesting. I'm so glad you brought it up. Why? Well, when Dory asked, I I had to think about. That's right, it, Dory. Right? You asked, but yeah. I but I think you're. I know this is my fault. <laughs> no, it's really good. I think it's no. I'm I like having an author's perspective. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad we're talking about it. Yeah. Well, and I'm also the only non-romance author in this conversation, so oh, yeah. that's I, true. I have a. You know, I'm very interested in this as well. So I just, I, I kind of want, just wanted to make it clear that I don't think that you know, you have to be a romance author to be fascinated right. by this whole right. phenomenon. Um, but on a on a somewhat, um, I guess on a lighter note, Kennedy, I'm very curious what your favorite trope is. Second chance. I find myself writing it a mm. lot. Um, there is something about, and I didn't even know that was, to to write, I think that's my favorite. To read I don't know that I have a favorite trope to read. I just love good writing. You know, like Mm, I just love to, there's certain authors who you don't hear a lot about anymore, but like Laura Kinsale, you know, who for me is like Hall of Fame romance writer. You don't hear a lot about her, but when you, I think that she's been a huge influence on me because she writes messy, you know, and she doesn't pander. Mm. And she writes complicated, layered stories. And it's just like, okay, reader, strap in. You know, here we go. <laughs> Keep yeah, up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, I love that. Um, as a writer, that's that's kind of, I think, been influential for me. Um, but as a reader, as uh, yeah, I think as a writer, I, 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 I tend to write a lot of second chance. Like before I let go is the most second chance, second chance I've ever written because they've been divorced for two years. Um, uh, and I, I love growth. You know, I like it. Sometimes when I write second chance, it's they met when they were really young and sometimes Mm. I'll write it. And then, then you you know, you read that part of the story of this, this like book two, 15 years later. Yeah. yeah, I love that. Oh my God. You know, 
I think especially one thing I've noticed about my books, like when I look at a book like um, some people may have read a book called Queen Move. Um, mm-hmm. When you look at Queen Move, you know, they, they meet their childhood best friends, literally born on the same day. And they're best friends up until the eighth grade, you know, and then they have their first kiss at like their eighth grade dance. It's like this innocence, you know, the whole first part of the story is just friendship and innocence. And then their families are, they live next, you know, they live across the street from each other. And then there's something happens and their families are torn apart and he moves away and they don't see each other for, you know, 20 years. And people are like, 20 years? Because (laughs) for me, and I I noticed that I do this a lot for, especially for women in romance, I like to see women establish their own worlds. I like to see women form, you know, like who into Mm. who they're going to be without it being like I was I, not, there's nothing wrong with that. Not, there's nothing for, wrong with, you know, finding love young and being together forever and ever and ever. Like that's how my husband and I were. But I think for me, there's something about when I'm writing where I like to see women who establish themselves, where they mm. figure out their career, where they figure out what they want to do and who they want to be and what they'll accept and what they won't accept. And I give them time in like their own like life incubator, you know, to become a fully formed person, you know, with agency and with understanding of, you know, their boundaries and their gifts and their strengths and their weaknesses. Like I like mature women, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And sometimes I like for them to be able to establish themselves before they reconnect with, you know, someone they knew when they were young and then figuring out how we've changed and how we've grown and how we mesh now. I think that's a fascinating dynamic for me. So we're just going to take a short break and we will be right back. You know, we have been delving more and more into the topic of our skin as we get older and how we treat it and how we love it. Because look, as I'm learning in my mid-40s, as you get older, you deal with new things when it comes to your skin. Not that they're bad. They're just new. You know what I mean? Like I am now just discovering creppiness, Dory. Mm, okay. Which is okay. I visible know. on my <sighs> neck and chest. Luckily, it's a thing. It's a thing. Luckily, One Skin, our sponsor today, knows all about things like crappiness. And I'm not overly concerned with aesthetics, but like I do just want to keep my skin healthy as I age. Totally. I love their topical supplements. They really help your skin feel, I don't want to say younger, but just vibrant, mm. refreshed. They combine tissue engineering, data analysis, and cutting edge longevity science to literally create the world's most effective product to help with skin aging. I am particularly fond of their face topical supplement. It's essentially a moisturizer, but it has their Mm -hmm. proprietary OSO1 peptide to really help with all the parts of our skin that are exposed to environmental damage. You can use it on your face, your hands, your neck. I know here Mm -hmm. where we live in Los Angeles, our hands, we're driving. That sun is coming at us at all times. One Skin believes the purpose of skincare is not just to improve how we look, but to optimize our skin biology so that it is more resilient 
to the aging process. They really create next level skincare. One Skin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, One Skin keeps your skin looking and more importantly, acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code OVER50 at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code OVER50. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Okay, we're back. Kennedy, one thing I, I just want to note that I love um, that you do so well is um, friendships. And I think that that is so meaningful. And and I think that gets um, a lot of times, I think that non-romance readers don't realize that's often a big part of, of romance is the exploration of these other adult relationships. And I just think that's yeah. such an important thing as a reader to get to, to get to read and experience for these characters also. Right. I agree. I mean, and I think in, and before I let go specifically, I, it wasn't in the original version, you know, like in the original version that I told you I wrote long, long ago and I tore it down and reconstructed it. That friendship group was not as congealed as in before I let, like it wasn't as cohesive. And before I let go, there's a group of these three friends, Yasmin, Hendrix, and Soledad, and they are anchors for each other. You know, they are like the core. And those, this is Yasmin's book. Hendrix and Soledad will also get their own books. But Ooh. it's like, yes, I'm excited Sorry, I'm about such it. Such a dork. <laughs> no, I'm a dork. Ooh. <laughs> no, I'm the dork. But it's like that. I think to see those, um, especially women, friend, you know, women in friendship and being strong for each other. And I think that's really important. And I have done that in, you know, several series, sometimes unwittingly, but in this book, very intentionally. Um, and I love the fact that they're all very different. Like one is a stay at home mom completely devoted to her children. And like, that's where she feels successful and she runs it like an enterprise. And one of course has the restaurant with her husband, ex-husband now, and they're running their business. And one has no desire to have children. She's totally consumed in her career. And yet they, uh, they respect each other. You know, they respect each other's mm -hmm. decisions and where they are in life. And I just, I, I like to see that. And they met as adults, which I think was such an interesting point yes. that you made. It was like, they're, they're, they made adult friendships, which we've talked a lot about on Forever 35 is like, I mean, Dory and I became a friends as we are adult in our thirties. Yeah. You know, friendship. you're not yeah. like, we're not like we met when we were 18. And I think that was just such an interesting distinction that you made with them. And I just, I, I appreciated it. Yeah. And I think for her, for Yasmin, especially when she was going through her really hard time, 
she found herself isolating a lot, you know, which is sometimes what we do. She isolated a lot. And a lot of her friends didn't know how to negotiate what she was going through with her. And some of them, when they tried, maybe she just didn't know how to let them in. And there was some drift with some of those friendships. And um, Yasmin, when she's coming out of it, one of the things that her therapist recommends is yoga. You know, she recommends, hey, try plants, you know, having plants around is great. You know, try yoga. You know, she's giving her all these kind of like the self-care things that, you know, also help. Um, in addition to for me, you know, an antidepressant, <laughs> you know, but she's like, OK, mm-hmm. yoga. And she meets these women in yoga and they're just completely in different places. And you're right. They they're in their late 30s and they just they love each other and they're there for each other. So and it's a dynamic that I really enjoyed creating for these mature women. Mm. Um. Well, Kennedy, we we do always like to end our conversations with guests by asking them about their skincare routine. Now, your camera is not working, so we cannot see <laughs> your face. Um, but we are nonetheless curious what you are using these days. I have gotten a lot more intentional about skincare. I grew up, and this again tells my age, I grew up using Noxzema. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm, every night mm-hmm, that's about. Mm-hmm. We did too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what you're in, you're in, I think, yeah, I think you're in the right age group over here. We're in our <laughs> mid 40s. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I grew up using Noxzema and I wasn't real fancy schmancy, you know, in skincare, but as I get older, I have become I and you know what this is going to sound crazy because we were just talking about book talk. Do you know what has really gotten me more into skincare is um, TikTok because you know the girlies oh, have sure. their whole get ready with me and they have their like nighttime yep. routines and they just yep. set their little camera up and they go yep. through all of like the products that they're using and I'm like oh so maybe I should use something other than just this whatever I'm using on my face and so I've gotten this um what my I do have like a skincare system by this uh uh company called Bolden and they specifically work with um melanated skin and so that's been really good for me so that's like my cleanser my um toner and then my moisturizer is all Bolden but what I use at night and um I like I'm so I'm just name dropping, I guess. But Tia Williams is a good friend of mine. And of course, Tia Williams is also a beauty editor. And so we were doing an Instagram live once and right. I was like, your skin is fantastic. And she goes, oh, Estee Lauder nighttime, like the serum. And I'm telling you, I I ordered it that night and I've been using it ever since. And my skin is like glass. <laughs> I mean, it's like, wow. <laughs> I mean, you know, okay. it's like so, it's so smooth uh, and sleek. Like after I use it, it's like, wow. And I can see the difference. Um, I have not, I need to use more for my eyes. I've just started using um, Shiseido. Is am I Shiseido for the eyes, the Shiseido eye cream? Just started using Ooh. that, and that's pretty much it. I'm pretty. I'm a girl of of simplicity, so I use you know my Bolden system, and then I use my eye serum, the Shiseido, and then I use the Estee Lauder nighttime serum, and that's that's it for me. I love that. I love it. Also, speaking I should probably of be the second chances. Something. <laughs> no, 
<laughs> I mean, I think I think if anything, I, I think people tend to like over peel and over exfoliate. So I would say just like tread lightly there. Um, but I, yeah. I was just thinking about how Tia's book is a second chances book. So yes. Oh, so Seven good. Days in June. For me, Seven uh, Days in June is one of my favorite books that I've read in the last few years. You know, like yeah, it's for so me, good. it's so good. It's such to me, the book is and Tia is just iconic. You know, like I love that story. And I, the one thing that I love is how it really translates across genres. You know, there are a lot of people who are not mm-hmm. typically romance readers who you see posting about seven days in June. And it's like sneaking yes. vegetables in with their, you know, dessert. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> they're like, ew, I can't stand romance. Uh, oh my gosh. But I love seven days in June. You know, so um, I love that. For me, I think Tia for me is like, and it's not an exact like apple to apple, but she's like the Terry McMillan, you know, of our mm. generation mm. in a lot of ways. Like when you look at the way Terry McMillan wrote books that were so where black women were centered, but they were so um, trans those experiences were so transferable. You know, everybody was consuming that, loving that. Um, and it wasn't even about sometimes, you know, the love story that was there. It was just, it just kind of swept across genres a lot, I think. Um, and I think that Tia's work does that. I think Tia does that. She's in a lot, in a lot of different spaces. And I, I love seeing that. Yeah, she's amazing. Um, well, Kennedy, I, I mean, I, I feel like we could talk to you for a, a much longer period of time but we will <laughs> respect your time and let you go thank you so much for this amazing conversation um thank you. where can yeah where can our listeners find you if they're interested in learning more about you and reading your books yeah i'm all over social media i'm on tiktok kennedy ryan um, I am on, uh, Instagram, obviously Twitter, Facebook. Like if you just search Kennedy Ryan, my website is Kennedy Ryan writes, and all of those are going to be plastered with before I let go right now. So it'll be unavoidable that I'm releasing a book. Um, if you go to any of those, uh, platforms, but I'm all over, you know, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook website, all of it, but really any of those will have a link tree. Li- you know, I have a link tree, yes, and when you click yes, on yes. that, it takes you to everything you could ever even want to know, and some things you probably don't care about. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank Amazing. you um, so much. I'm so excited for people to read before I let go. It's just gonna suck you in and just tap dance on your heart and crush it and <laughs> I, rebuild I it. Love I Ooh, love baby. that. Ooh, baby. Yeah, I've been on the ride this past week. It's been a good one. It's been a good one, but my heart hurts. Oh, uh, but there, but at the end, at the end. Yeah. Right? We're good. Yeah, I'm healed. Yes, yes, but, yes. <laughs> you know what's so funny is every week I get a message from someone who says, I am now in therapy. Like I read before I let go. And I oh, start that's so every powerful. week. So powerful. Every week, someone messages me and says, I called my insurance company today to figure out how to get into therapy, or I've been avoiding my therapist. And after I read before I let go, I'm getting back into therapy. And for me, that is such a impact for me as the first metric of success. And Mm -hmm. so for me, like to, to have that up close personal experience with impact and how that aspect of mental health 
is impacting some readers, it's really powerful for me. It's really meaningful. Um, it's very satisfying since I didn't set out for this book to be so personal, um, you know, with me and my mental health journey, but along the way it became very personal. And so, um, so that's real satisfying. That's real gratifying. That's real meaningful for me. Ugh. That's amazing. That's, uh, I love it so much. Well, Kennedy, thank you again so much for coming on the pod. We're so glad to have you. I loved being here anytime. You guys are amazing. Thank you for having me. Well, that was a treat, Dory. Seriously a treat. And if you, Seriously a treat. If you are looking for a book to just like tap dance on your heart and tug at all the heartstrings and just like make you cry and make you feel happy... Before I let go, I was going to do that. She, you know what? I had this weird experience reading this book, and I meant to say this to her, where I, I hadn't felt this way in a long time, where I felt like I was in the book. You know that feeling where a book is Ooh, so, it feels so, um, yeah. I was trying to pinpoint what it was, but I had this moment where I was like, this feels real. Like, I feel like I'm, I'm actually living in this world. And I don't always get that as a reader, especially because I tend to read totally. very quickly. And so that was a really, um, just like a powerful moment while reading this book. So recommend. That's really Our, cool. Yeah, it felt good. Now, door door. Whoa. Yes. Sorry. Cat door, cat. Door, door. door. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm excited to talk about your intention from last week because I have been been watching you execute it. Yes. You've been like so this full was- steam ahead. Kate, if you recall, this was a two-week intention because I first intended it two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Didn't do anything about it the first week, and then was like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm redoubling my efforts here," and decided to to re-up my intention for another week, and it was to organize stuff to sell, and I did. I sold nice. a bunch of stuff, so that felt really good. I like. You know, as I was like going through clothes to sell, I just, I really thought about each thing and I was like, do I feel good when I wear this? And if the answer Ugh. was no, I was like, this has to go. And this how has to go. You were ruthless, if you will, because you said to me, I I'm was, trying to be ruthless. I am, I have, I'm being pretty ruthless. I have to say, mm. I don't know if it's like my anxiety about the looming global recession or just general anxiety, but I'm getting like very worried about money. And so I'm trying to really yeah. like cut back and, you know, not buy stuff and sell stuff that I have. And also my intention for this week is related to that, which is meal prepping Mm. And I did this last week for my lunches and it worked out really well. And I'm going to do it this coming week too. I did like basically like burrito bowls. Like I made a big thing of, they were really good. I made a big thing of rice, big thing of black beans, thing of chicken. And then I also had like different toppings like avocado, sour cream, cheese, lettuce, salt. I made a salsa. Um, you wait, I'm sorry, back up. You made a salsa. You made it. You didn't do a store-bought. I just whipped up a little pico de gallo. It's literally the easiest thing, but it involves a lot of chopping. Yeah. But like, 
you know that's impressive no own it own it it's Um, impressive well thanks and yeah so that was really great i was just like i I felt like i'd been spending too much money on like takeout yeah lunches and lunch always sort of snuck up on me you know and i was never Mm -hmm. prepared and there was never anything in the fridge and so i was like i gotta get ahead of this so i think next week I'm going to do, I found this recipe for like a Korean chicken bowl kind of thing. I like a bowl. They're also easy to meal prep. So I think, I think that's what I'm going to do. Look at you on top of your game. Look, Kate, I'm trying, you know, just ride Um, this high. I'm impressed. I mean, you did send me this picture of your like meat lunches and it looked delicious. It was pretty good. I'm not going to lie. It was pretty good. And I calculated like the per meal cost was like $4. And and for like you probably spent what, 25 bucks, 20 bucks on ingredients. And that's something you can spend every day on a lunch when you're doing takeout, like minimum. Pretty much. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. I was with like tax and tip, I was spending $21 every time I ordered lunch. And like, yeah, that's just not sustainable. No, no, it's not. Um, yeah, like, I, I don't know. It's kind of embarrassing. Uh, it's weird because like when I, like when I worked in an office, Mm. I, I would, go out and like get a salad or, you know, get, get lunch every day. And it was probably around $15, but like for some reason that just felt normal. But when I work from home, getting like takeout feels very indulgent. Mm -hmm. I get it. I know the feeling. And also, like I said, I am trying to like economize right now. So just like making that calculation of, Oh, I could spend basically what I spend on one lunch and have like lunch for the week. It's really true. I mean, it's, it's a very, I mean, food is expensive at the grocery store too. Don't get me wrong because you know, everything is a nightmare, but yeah, you really like when you start kind of really looking at the cost difference, like even it's that, Mm -hmm. that annoying, like, you know, save a, you know, don't get coffee and you'll save all this money. And it's like, well, okay. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it does work. It does add up. Yeah. Anyway, Kate, what do you have going on? Oh, okay. So I've been, last week I was focusing on writing down my systems and my workflow. I didn't quite nail this. Um, It was really funny though, in my like writing critique group Zoom yesterday, I was apologizing because I had double booked myself because I hadn't written a meeting down and they were all like, we all are ADHD too. Like here are 50 different notebooks and calendars. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, I feel so, so seen by you. So there was a lot of empathy. Um, So I feel like I'm still figuring that out. But on that note, uh, and I I realize I've been talking about this a lot, but it's, it's like, I just feel like I've discovered a whole new side of myself kind of understanding this ADD diagnosis. And I'm trying to really learn more about my behaviors and through the lens of that diagnosis and kind of just look at them without judgment. Um, Mm. I know I mentioned the Forever 35 ADHD Facebook group a lot, but they've been really helpful. And I posted there the other day because I was like, 
having this like real hyper focus fixation on a certain on like a shopping thing. It manifests for me a lot of shopping. And I was feeling a lot of shame about that because it's so one frivolous and two, like I'm spending money that I don't have. And three, like I should be doing work. And instead I'm like frantically researching bags. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I was very validated in sharing there. And so I think I'm just trying committing to kind of continuing this deepening my understanding of myself. That's cool. It's a lot. You know, it's like you feel like you have yourself figured out and then you're like, oh, I'm never going to have myself figured out. Like I'm always going to be learning new layers of myself. Well, and like we are not static. Like we're also always changing and evolving. Yes, I know, which is like great, but also challenging. Yeah, totally. (sighs) Luckily, the listeners are along for the ride. Buckle up. Um, All right, everyone. Forever 35 is hosted and produced by me, Dorisha Freer, and Kate Spencer, and produced and edited by Sam Junio. Sammy Reed is our project manager, our network partners, ACAST. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.